perhaps some of you have met our official hugger. He's back in town. <laughs> Where is that hugger? <laughs> he'll be. He'll come back in. Manny got a reputation as being our hugger, and he lives up to it. So, good to have you back with us. This morning we're in First Samuel chapter twenty-seven, and we have been looking at David in his flight from Saul and how God delivered David from Saul. But this morning we get to see, and you hate to say this, but we get to see the sinful side of David. David has been under the threat of Saul who seeks to kill him. And that can be stressful especially when it's the king with an army of crack troops that seek your life. Twice times David has shown great restraint in not being aggressive towards Saul when uh, Saul was delivered right into his hands. And we've heard Saul on two different occasions declare and proclaim to all of his troops, to all of David's men, 600 of them. And Saul says, I have sinned against you, David. For my life was precious in your eyes, but I intended evil for you. I have played the fool, David, and erred exceedingly. And then he says, may the Lord bless you, David. And Saul departs. But then we start uh, chapter 27. And David is now having a conversation with himself. You ever have a little self-talk? A little heart-to-heart -heart reasoning going on within yourself? And David is talking to himself how to be safe from Saul. Let's read the first verse of chapter 27 of 1 Samuel. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. There is a problem with self-talk, self-reasoning that goes on, and we all do it to some degree, because Jeremiah, in 17 verse 9 of Jeremiah, he says, my heart is deceitfully wicked, desperately wicked rather, desperately wicked. So any conversation you have, a heart-to-heart -heart talk you have with yourself, might be on the wicked side. Self-reasoning is flawless, or at least it is in our own minds. We tend to justify any of our own behavior. We're good at making an airtight case for some opinion or action that we're considering. 
and we even figure out, well, they will respond this way, and here's what my answer is going to be. We play out the full scenario. You ever do, do that? You're going to confront somebody, and they're going to say this, and you're going to say that back in return. Well, David is having a self-confrontation discussion with himself. And remember that David is a man after God's own heart. However, David is not without flaws, faults in his reasoning. And David comes to a self-conclusion. I will flee this wilderness of Israel for some day, surely, I'm going to perish at the hands of Saul. And therefore, there is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of Israel's enemies, the Philistines. I should go to the Philistines. And he said, then Saul will grow tired of chasing me, and I will be safe. Now, David has agreed with himself this is what he should do. And it's his, what we would call, fail-safe plan. But David, remember, he has been so trustworthy, so valiant in his attitude towards Saul. And we read in Scripture and we marvel at David's restraint towards Saul when David's own men are saying, Hey, God has delivered him into your hands. Kill him. And if you don't want to kill him, I will. And this is what David has dealt with. But David, he's steadfast in his resolve not to harm Saul because he considers Saul God's anointed king and he won't lift his hand against him. But then David is left to his own reasoning and his self-talk. And that's where we see David flounder completely. When scripture speaks of wise counsel, it means we're to counsel others, not ourselves. You can't be a wise counselor to yourself. Perhaps you've listened to someone who uh, makes an argument as to why they decide to do what they have done. And they can come up with the most feeble of excuses. But you know what an excuse is? It's like a belly button. Everybody's got one. But let's continue in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 27. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ohenanam, or whatever, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the Carmelite, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let them give me a piece in a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Kish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. 
Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistine was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided uh, the Gezurites and the Gerzites and the Malachites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. As you go to Sir, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive. But he took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of Jamilakites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. And David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, Thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. David, uh, his decision is not simply for himself anymore. He has two new wives. He also has 600 loyal soldiers and their families that look to him uh, to support them, to make a way of living for them. And we see David err. And when David errs, he errs big time. David goes back to Achish, where he acted like a madman once before. This is the same Achish that where David uh, would scratch on the gates of the city and drool in his beard and act like a madman. Perhaps David is trying to save his reputation among uh, the Philistines. But his plan works, his lie works, but for a moment Saul ceases to pursue David. David gets a little reprieve from Saul here. And Achish, he gives David Ziglag, and he thinks David is now an ally with him against Israel. But David, he's going to live out his lie. And he's going to live out his lie in the area of the Philistines. And he's going to live a lie for 16 months. But to convince Achish, David has to continue. He must fulfill this plan of deceit that he has. And so what does David do? He's raiding. He's stealing. He's killing various tribes of people that are not Israelis. Now, David has turned to this raiding lifestyle in southern Israel, and he goes all the way down to the borders of Egypt. But notice how ruthless David has become, who would not lift a hand against his enemy Saul. But look at verse 9. He would not leave any of the people he raided alive lest they should tell King Achish how David only raided non-Israeli villages and areas. Again in verse 11, David would kill men and women and children in his raids for Achish, and he would bring the loot back to Achish. 
but he only killed non-Israelis. I don't care how you shake that down. David is truly being barbaric at this time. And so David lives this lifestyle of raiding all the time that he dwelt in the land of the Philistines. King Achish is totally deceived by David. David now is living a life of deception. And for the moment, for about a year and a half, he and his men are safe from Saul. And we find David living out this despicable life, this man who has been so valiant for the Lord, so righteous in his behavior towards Saul, but now he's become a raiding warlord. Now consider, consider Abigail for a moment. What does Abigail now think of her husband, whom she counseled not to commit bloodshed against Nabal, her husband, and his servants? She counseled David, don't be this killer. Don't take uh, matters into your own hands. And don't shed blood, David. But now David is taken up a life of being a murderer. Stealing and lying is his lifestyle. The gigantic question here is what caused David to cease living righteously? What stopped him from being a man after God's heart? Lack of faith. That's all it was. Simply a lack of faith. Trusting in his own schemes of deceit versus trusting in God. David has meant become what we would call a warlord. And the honesty of Scripture reveals the good and the bad side of David. For a moment, let's just look at the past deception or lies of David. This is not his first lie. Back in chapter 20, David convinces Jonathan, Saul's son, to lie about where, why David is now absent from the king's feast. Where's David? And Jonathan David caused Saul to throw a spear at his own son to kill him because of their lie. They scheme up a scheme of deceit. And, and we can understand why. We're, we're not that shallow. We can understand why David and Jonathan lied. But what is it? It's still a lie. Next in chapter 21, Ahimelech, the priest, when David comes to him seeking refuge, David lies to the priest of God. I'm on a secret mission of the king. Do not let anyone know anything about this secret mission. 
Ahimelech believes David's lie, and he gives David showbread that has been there on the altar, and he gives him Goliath's sword. Ahimelech befriending and believing David, it cost Ahimelech his life, along with 85 other priests. These 85 priests in Ahimelech are killed by Doeg, the Edomite, and they're killed at Saul's command. And we understand the circumstances for David's lie. Nevertheless, David lied to Ahimelech, and Ahimelech and 85 priests die because of David's lie. Then in chapter 22, verse 22, David confesses to Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. I've caused it by my lies. Yet David will lie again. David is developing a method of survival a method that hinges upon when things get extremely stressful, lie. Now we understand why David lied, but it's still a lie. And now we find David acting out a lie before Achish, acting first like he was a madman, drooling in his own beard, scratching the city gates and all of that, acting out a lie in person. But now David is acting out a lie, and he receives temporary relief from King Saul. King Saul will not follow him into the land of the Philistines. And it appears that David takes comfort in his lying. Have you ever told a lie? You lie if you say you haven't. Years ago, Lori and I were on vacation down in the Cayman Islands. On the Cayman Islands, you can buy Cuban cigars, which is contraband if you try to bring them back into the continental United States. So I'm going through customs on my re-entry into the U.S., and the custom officer, he asked me straight out, do you have any cigars originating in Cuba? Which I did. I had brought some cigars back for friends who wanted Cuban cigars. But I'm clever. I'm slick. I say to the customs officer, sir, I do not smoke. A true statement, but it was a lie because I deceived him. A, a, a lie is nothing more than causing someone to believe something untrue. A good lie has a lot of truth in it. So I fully understand the ins and outs of lying, unfortunately. 
I am learning, I am hope I am learning to be forthright and honest. I don't like to say things like, let me tell you a true story. That indicates all my other stories maybe weren't true. David has a tendency to lie when stress is put upon him. Lying has become a way to achieve his desires for sinful pleasure with Bathsheba. But David also causes Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to be murdered through a series of lies. David, he succumbed to the temptation to lie from what we would call out of necessity to, you know, prevent his own death perhaps, lying for safety. But now David has developed a way to lie to achieve sinful pleasure. And that's where lying can lead. There are some safeguards we can put up that will help us keep our honesty. Sometimes I'm asked a question that there isn't a good answer for. Like, do I look good in this dress? And I will sometimes ask a question in return. Do you want the truth or do you want me to make you feel good? Just flat out. <laughs> One of the best examples that I've ever heard of somebody speaking the truth in what I would consider a stressful situation is my pastor, Damien Kyle, an extremely truthful man. I was talking with him when this third friend of ours who had served in Modesto Calvary Chapel for years, and he asked Damien flat out, when I served at Calvary Chapel Modesto, did you see any leadership qualities in me? Damien looked at him and said, no. I couldn't do that, I don't think, you know. I would say, well, you know, you have a tendency to be a good guy or, you know, something like Damien just said, no, didn't see any. That guy went on to start a Calvary only to back out of it, just stop one day. But David, a man after God's own heart, in Psalms 120, we, we have a couple of verses. Let me read them to you, one and two. And David wrote these. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. David lived his life for about a year and a half there in the southern Israel. 
siding with the Philistines. But David was a man who had a tender heart before God. His lying within himself had to be repented of. And David cries out to the Lord, Deliver my soul from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. It can be so easy to lie sometimes because it can remove us from a fearful situation. It can achieve our goal without telling all the details. But you had to put a guard on your heart not to lie. Lying is our carnal self, our old human nature, fighting against walking by faith. It's hard to explain why you walk by faith sometimes, but it pleases God. And like David, we can find ourselves trusting in our own wisdom, our own reasoning. We can deceive ourselves, and then we can lie to others. The Lord has miraculously protected David from Saul and his army. And he's done this time and time again. But in verse 1 of chapter 27... David does what we will do many times. He begins to worry right after God has delivered him. Sometimes our most vulnerable times are right after a spiritual victory with the Lord. And David in first verse of 27, instead of rejoicing at God's protection, David begins to worry. Surely Saul someday will corner me and kill me. And David now has his self-conversation and he schemes about how to protect himself. Or in reality, David has a breakdown in his faith. David's entire Litany of lies and deceit came when David took his eyes off of God and his protection and looked at his own circumstance. Saul's surely going to get me. I've got to protect myself. When we walk in faith, we're simply being courageous towards God. Our God is faithful, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. Recognize when you have that temptation to deceive, and it doesn't have to be an out-and-out blatant lie like me telling the customs officer, Sir, I don't smoke. That isn't what he asked me. <laughs> he asked if I had contraband cigars. And I did. And it's God's little lesson to me. Be careful about deceiving. Because deceiving is lying. Amen. 
Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.